Welcome to Making Lemonade. I'm Wit. And I'm Kels. And we started this podcast to bring connection and support to this community. We know that every single person goes through tough situations in life. And we wanted to help share stories of those situations to help others not feel so alone. We are not therapists or doctors. Our opinions are our own. The opinions expressed by the guests on each episode is their own and doesn't necessarily share our same view. Welcome to Making Lemonade. On today's episode, we have my friend Brittany Anderson, and she comes to talk to us about postpartum depression and then anxiety, like it kind of turned into anxiety and depression. And um, she does a great job. She explains just kind of like what she has gone through, how she figured it out. She feels like she figured it out a little too late, like some of us do, right? Yeah, like yep. through life, when we go through things, we look back and we're like, oh, yeah. Or where something stemmed from Mm -hmm. and just so many tips on how she's been able to cope or deal with it or recognize it. I think that's key sometimes is recognizing what it is Mm -hmm. and that like changing our mindset can Mm -hmm. help that, you know? Yes. So, and I feel like with her listening to her, it was really like simple stuff too, Uh which is awesome. Yes. So simple. And, and you can say that all day, Mm -hmm. but it's actually doing it that makes the difference. Yes. You know, for sure. So yeah, yeah, I loved seeing all sides of that from her. Yeah. So she does a good job. She gives a ton of information. Um, She has like a list of books, resources that really helped her things that she's kind of done to help her put more tools in her toolbox. So absolutely. Yeah. We're really proud of her. Glad that she spent some time with us and we hope that you guys enjoyed the episode. Welcome, Brittany. We're so excited you are here to spend the day with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wanted to come on the podcast? Okay. Well, I'm really, really excited to be here. Um, I know that this is what I need to do right now, Um, but I am a professional worrier. (laughs) I'm here to talk about all of my insecurities. Um, I think a lot of it comes from just life, being a mom, um, My oldest is 15, and I think that I have probably accumulated mental health challenges by maybe not knowing and minimizing things, not recognizing things, Um, and I'm still completely in the trenches, so I'm not here to solve anyone's problems. I don't have the answers. I know what's worked for me and what hasn't. And so I just want to talk about that. Um, what got me here was listening to an audiobook, And I've been thinking about coming on for a long, long, long time. <laughs> um, but I was listening to an audiobook. Um, it's called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And she said this quote, and I'm going to read it because it's so good. Like it gave me confidence and no doubt that it was time for me to be courageous enough to talk about my anxiety and my depression and my story. So I'll read that right now. 
Um, and it's by Theodore Roosevelt, but Brene uses it in her book. Um, okay, so it says, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who, at best, knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who, at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, that that part really got me right there. Um, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never knew victory or defeat. So I heard this and I just knew it was my time. It was, it was like this feeling that ran through me. It was exciting and it was kind of liberating to feel like I could get my story out there, but it was totally nauseating at the same time. Like the shaky, dizzy, nauseating, I have to do this hard thing now. Like there's no going back. Mm -hmm. You know, you feel that. Um, and that's my anticip anticipatory anxiety is what it is. Um, it's where you have to do something and you know it's going to be hard, but anticipating it is actually worse than doing it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something that I've had to work through. Um, but I've been learning about courage and putting courage over comfort, which is a really, really hard thing. Um, in the same book, Brene says that courage is speaking your mind by telling what's in your heart. And that's a hard thing for everyone, don't you think? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I feel like I love that quote, you can't grow until you're uncomfortable, mm -hmm. because it makes me push myself when I don't want to do something or it's hard and I just want to give up and quit, yeah. I have to remember I can grow if I keep pushing, you know? Right. So, and I love Teddy Roosevelt is like my favorite president. He went through so dang much mm -hmm. and was so resilient. So I love that she quoted him with that. I yeah. love that quote. Yeah. Um, and to go along with what you were saying, courage, it requires vulnerability. Like, She's, she's taught me so much, huh, Brene. <laughs> um, <laughs> you learn to swim by swimming mm -hmm. and you learn courage by couraging is how she says it. And I'm like, ah, dang it. <laughs> so I'm ready for being vulnerable, I guess. Um, so there's just a couple of paragraphs and I came with papers. I can't just stay on track all by myself. <laughs> My brain will not let me do it. So I'm just going to read a little bit of like some things I feel like are important. And then I just want to chat. So um, I have anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Um, occasionally I feel like it's circumstances, you know, something going on in your life. Um, but I think it could be biological. It could be culture a product of society. Um, it might just be personal. But my priority is to help others not feel so alone. 
if anyone relates to these emotions. Um, it's a hard thing to explain because it's invisible. You can't see it like you can with a physical injury or an illness. Um, so I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and so I am definitely bringing that into this podcast. It's mm-hmm. a big part of who I am. So I'm going to quote um, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland from October 2013 General Conference because I think a lot of people can relate to what he says. Um, this talk specifically was about awareness and mental health. Um, he says, however bewildering this all may be, these afflictions are some of the realities of mortal life, and there should be no more shame in acknowledging them than in acknowledging a battle with high blood pressure or the sudden appearance of a malignant tumor. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Why is it so hard? Why do we feel so much shame around this topic? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because we don't, we can't see it. It's not in front of our faces. Mm -hmm. It's inside. And so many of us carry it. We don't even, sometimes ourselves, we don't even realize it. But the people around us don't either. Um, When I talk about these things, sometimes I feel like I'm talking about another person. (laughs) Because sometimes I feel fine. Mm -hmm. But I know that what I feel is certainly anxiety and depression. Um, I know feelings of social anxiety, separation anxiety, anticipatory anxiety, um, panic attacks. I struggle with some OCD. And then there's perfectionism, which, believe it or not, I only recently learned that that is not a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy, right? Yeah. I always thought that just meant, like, you're doing your best. Good job. It's not that. Um. I can relate to feeling like you are literally underwater and pop up with barely enough time to get some air, only to be pulled right back down again by the heavy bricks of life. I have an inferiority complex, and I constantly worry that I bother others, and then I wade through varying levels of depression, including, you guys have heard of SAD, right? SAD, seasonal affective disorder i'm a sufferer over here (laughs) but also as you're naming all these real quick i know you're not done but yeah for you to even say you struggle with all these i hope you know you are not alone like so many of these have all of these or a lot of these or half of these you know and it's so normal Mm -hmm. so wow good job like recognizing them and saying it out loud and being vulnerable to share that like thank you you're welcome. <laughs> I just made a big list of all my problems. <laughs> Putting it out there. I love it. Um, in the past, I've struggled with postpartum depression, uh, which is such a crazy thing, but so real. Mm-hmm. And um, I've even had a few moments, crazy moments, where I feel like it would be better for everyone around me if I wasn't living anymore suicide because I feel like such a burden and it's like that out of body experience where you're like, this is really how I feel. Like you believe it, but you, you're like, is this me? Mm. This is not me. I'm happy. I have a good life. Mm -hmm. What's going on? (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, anyway, I want, I feel like it's important to talk about, like it doesn't define me, the anxiety, the depression, it's part of who I am and I'm learning to work with that. But I want to talk about like my family. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about them? Let's do yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering too, I don't know if this is like kind of the right time to ask or not, but when did the stuff stuff show up for you? Like in your life, when did you start noticing like these feelings and you weren't, you know, like um, you're feeling too much for people or you were feeling anxious, sad? I don't know. Yeah. So it's a good question. And I think that honestly, if I look back on my life, I've probably always had some level of anxiety for sure. Mm-hmm. Um I'm going to share this and I think like it's not a bad thing, but do you remember in sixth grade or seventh grade, like you'd pass notes, right? Mm -hmm. And Kelsey, this is like you and me and I don't remember who else, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, like I, you, we have had this friendship forever, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember we were passing notes one day and you guys were trying to like help me. I like, I know I was struggling with something, Mm -hmm. but you guys were like, maybe just try not to be so uptight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got to love my sixth grade self. (laughs) Well, and I could be like warping the memory, but you know, that's kind of what I remember. Mm -hmm. And I didn't take it like offensively, Mm -hmm. you know, because we had that relationship. We had that friendship. Uh, It was like, Like I struggled Mm -hmm. and you guys could recognize it. You were like there for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about it later, Mm -hmm. but I think it's always been there. I just didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Um, so growing up kind of like we just talked about, um, I, wanted to be responsible. I wanted to be like, I wanted to get it right. Um, I felt it's hard to like put a finger on it. Like I worried about stuff, right? I remember in fourth grade worrying about something that was going on and I would get stomach aches. Mm -hmm. Like my mom had to take me home from school like multiple days in a row. And I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that just happens. I don't know, but I remember that. Um, So the other thing is like loyalty. I have always just loved boys, (laughs) (laughs) loved people, but I'm going to talk about boys right Mm now. Um, When like growing up, and I think part of it's in the church you learn that it's forever. You love someone and you love them forever, right? Mm -hmm. And I grabbed onto that because I loved the idea. Mm -hmm. Like you have that special person and you have them forever. And if that, if it didn't like last, then that wasn't okay. And um, my first crush was in second grade. Like I fell hard for this boy. (laughs) He was so cute. (laughs) Um. And I had this crush on him for years, years and years. And then in middle school, 
um, I, you know, you like went out with someone. So I went out with Zeb and like, if I ran into him today, I still love him. Do you know what I mean? Um, he was my first kiss. It was on the back of a horse. It was like my dream. I was in middle school. <laughs> um, and then, do you know what I mean? Like each, each boy, like obviously you're young and you, like I would just give my whole heart and I would feel this loyalty and then it would change, which is okay because you're so young. Um, next, I dated Cash and he, we, I was like 15 years old when we met. Um, my dad was my first date when I was 16. And then the next day I went to homecoming with Cash and like, I just loved him. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I really did. Um, we dated, we had so much fun and like time went on and he moved away for college for a little while and I wanted that for him, but I felt like kind of, I don't want to say abandoned, but do you know what I mean? Like I felt like I was left home given I was in high school, you need to stay in high school, but it was hard for me. Um, and then he went on his mission and our plan was to like, I was going to wait for him and we were going to get married and I meant it with all my heart. And again, time went on and I wrote him because I started dating someone else and his name was Randall and I loved him. <laughs> we were such good friends. We had so much fun. Um, we worked together. We ran track together. We had so much in common. And then he went on his mission. And again, like I wanted that for him. I, I wanted that in a husband. And I was kind of like left behind again. But I, you know what I mean? Like I wanted it. It wasn't anything different than what I wanted. It was just really hard for me. Um, so I wonder a little bit if that was the origin or kind of like the coming out of my separation anxiety, like I, cause I still have it and I don't know, I don't want to like blame, but I think that those experiences cause some of that in me. Um, have you guys heard of the five love languages book? Mm -hmm. Okay. I love that. I feel like it is so true. They have it for kids. They have it for teenagers. And you can do a little quiz to find out like what. Um, it's basically saying, how do you feel love? And for me, I feel love by spending time with the people that I love and by being physically close to them. And they're both equally as important. So like acts of service or words of affirmation, those are some of the others. They're not nearly as high on my list, you know, when you take the quiz mm -hmm. and gifts. Don't get me wrong. I like a good present, <laughs> but gifts is like almost zero. The lowest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think being away from a person that I love, not being able to physically be with them and not being able to have the time with them is like... It's hard for me. Um, so like my husband, his name is John. 
and I'll talk more about him in just a second, but the, so the separation anxiety that I struggle with now is like when he will leave for work trips. I hate it. (laughs) And sometimes it's like a day or two. It's not that much, but it's hard for me. Um, I'm getting better. And I think a lot of that is probably the medication that I started taking. Um, but I would fear like the worst. So not only being away from him, but I would fear like death by accident. Or if I'm struggling, I think like, well, maybe he doesn't want to be here. And I know that those are not rational. Like he's the most Mm -hmm. loyal, most all in 100% their husband. So he has never done anything to make me feel these things. Um, But anyway, going back to boyfriends. (laughs) Um, So then I'm kind of in those college years and I started dating someone and I really, really liked him and I could just never get the pulse on if he felt the same way, but he was always like hanging out with me. He'd like take me out on dates and I would, you know, have that conversation like, Hey, where's this going? And he'd just kind of be like quiet about it. But I really, really liked him. And we'd been dating for a little while. Um, at the time, I worked as a dental assistant. So I did the program at Bridgerland. And I think I graduated in like 2004. Um, anyway, so I met John. And that was it. Like he was home to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just that feeling of like, this is different. Um, so I had to write my missionary Randall and (laughs) tell him. And I think at this point I started to feel a lot of guilt because I kept saying, Hey, this is like, I love these guys. This is going to be forever. And it kept not being forever. Um, I questioned like, am I any good at being loyal? Like I had a lot of guilt going on with that. Um, but man, John was it. (laughs) So I had kind of been dating this other guy. And so I felt that loyalty to him. And so I told John, like, I need to go and figure out what's going on with this other guy. I at least just need to have a conversation and get some closure. So I hesitated and like that always has bothered me. I mean, I'm over it. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I'm like, I loved John so much. Why did I hesitate? Because I knew it. But I think it was part of that, like, loyalty and guilt going on. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we, John and I went on our first date. Um, we, it was in 2004, June 11th. We still celebrate it, our first date. Um, I'm a romantic, so we celebrate pretty much everything that we can think of. <laughs> uh, we got engaged on my birthday, so that was in September 2004. And then... We were married on February 4th of 2005. So it's our anniversary this weekend. Happy anniversary. Thank you. (laughs) Um, 18 years. So it's crazy. Um, But he is, he's just everything to me. And I still can't get enough of him. Do you know what I mean? Like, I always pick 
him when I have an option. Um, let me think. Kids. So we started having kids. Um, we got pregnant when we were ready to with our first. We have four boys. So Jacob was born in November of 2007 um, at 41 weeks. So my body just did not go into labor. Um, I wasn't dilating, no effacement, nothing. I was just like sitting there big and pregnant. <laughs> and I was terrified of delivery, so I was fine with that. Mm -hmm. Um my doctor at my 41 week checkup said, let's get you started. So after 17 hours of induced labor, um, I ended up having a C-section because he was posterior and he was nine pounds and three ounces. He was big and he was long. So he's still tall. Um, he was 22 and a half inches long. And right now I think he's like six foot two. So he's just like this tall kid. Um, after we got home from the hospital, I had an internal infection, which I remember just waking up in the middle of the night thinking I was on fire. Like it came out of nowhere. Um, it resolved pretty quickly. Like antibiotics, I think took care of it within a couple of days. Um, but I think there was some trauma that I didn't realize after his delivery, just with the C-section. Um, so we waited a while to have our next, um, Mason was born April, uh, 2011. And I just kept feeling like he was small. I worried and worried and worried and he was fine. Um, he was eight pounds, two ounces and 20 inches. So he was smaller than Jacob. And I think that's what I was comparing it to, but I worried, um, I had a scheduled C-section with him at 39 weeks, so it was so much easier than going through induced labor and then a C-section. The recovery felt so much better. Um, I ended up, Kelsey, you were visiting me in the hospital. Do you remember this? I had a headache yeah, for like I remember that. days. I was in the hospital for probably three or four days and just kept having this headache, and it was so bad. And do you remember what you said to, you're the one that like figured yeah. it out. Uh, you were just miserable. Like you didn't have the lights on. You were just like laying still. Yeah. It wasn't a headache. It was a migraine. <laughs> like was so you were bad. miserable. And then I just, I had read something recently or something. I don't yeah. even know. Oh yeah. And so I told them. I would have gone home. And so she got like the blood. Oh yeah. So we found out thing, it was, yeah. it's called a postural headache mm. and it happens after an epidural. Mm -hmm. And what happens is the, oh, I think the spinal fluid leaks out from the epidural. Like it was caused by that. And so your discs compress and it can either get better all by itself and it just takes a while, mm -hmm. kind of a long while, <laughs> or because I was still there in the hospital, they took a ton of blood out of my arm and it was crazy to watch. Do you remember being there? <laughs> you I, were still there. <laughs> I remember being there, but I don't remember like, oh, yeah. Those it's one of those of like moments I can still yes. remember. Anyway, they take a ton of blood and they take it out of your arm and then they put it in that space in your back and you lay down for like an hour and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. It's a blood patch and it fixed it. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. <laughs> um, anyway, I think this is where I really started to struggle with postpartum. Okay. And I, 
I don't know why. I mm-hmm. It just happens, right? And I think a lot of times you don't understand what's going on. Like looking back, so because I, in my mind, I'm always like, okay, listeners, like what can they learn from this, right? Like yeah. signs. Mm-hmm. So looking back, can you, th- I know it's different for everyone, mm-hmm. but can you think of just like the small things that like hindsight, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, that was probably, because I don't think I ever struggle with postpartum depression. So I, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, so I can learn from you mm-hmm. in a sense, but, um, So it took me some time to figure it out because I'd never experienced it. Mm -hmm. And I just started to notice like feelings of guilt, feelings of being really overwhelmed. Um, I mean, okay. I, I want, can I refer everybody back to Haley and McKinsey's podcast that you guys did in, was it July of last year? I don't remember, but yeah, it was okay. Um, seriously, everything that Haley talks about, except mine wasn't quite as extreme, um, spot on everything. Mm -hmm. I was like that weepy feeling, um, the thing that stands out to me the most is I wanted to leave. And that's not okay. (laughs) I never left, obviously. Um, But it was that situation where you're like, here I am. I literally have everything that I've ever wanted. I've got my husband. I've got my house. I've got a great little three-year-old running around. Like he's healthy. He's safe. Now I have this brand new baby. We had no problems during the pregnancy. The delivery went great. Like, why am I not happy? I was not happy. And it wasn't just um, temporary. It wasn't just like, I need a break. It yeah. was like, and I... It lasted and lasted. So once I started to understand more what it was and recognize it, like I talked to John, but I called my doctor and just said, this is what I'm feeling. What do you think I should do? Um, they talked about medication as an option, and I just was not ready it to me that felt like failure that felt shameful and i guarantee that's why i didn't do it mm. i i don't know do i wish i would have yeah i think i do um but i i just wasn't open to it at that time so self care is what i tried um john always says like it just takes me i just have this process when it comes to ideas. Do you know what I mean? So if the doctor's like, hey, try medication, I'll put that in the back of my mind and that's going to simmer. It might simmer for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they plant the seed. I always say yes. that about Brady. I'm like, I can get him to do whatever I want. I just got to plant the seed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Got to plant the seed. Sometimes it takes six months. And sometimes then it's it takes their a year. idea, right? Yes. You plant the seed and then it's their idea. And then you're like, yes, I would love yes. that. Thank <laughs> you. Funny. That's funny. Anyways. So I wonder if John's the one planting seeds. He plants a seed in you. Yeah. <laughs> and then like you. And then I'm the one that's like, hmm. And then six months later, I'm the one that's like, hey, do you Mm -hmm. think we should do this? He's like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking that for a while. (laughs) That's a good plan, dear. I love you so much. (laughs) Um, Anyway, the self-care that I did was like exercise. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get out. I'm going to walk. He was born in April. 
and it was a great time of year. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. Um, it went okay. Like it didn't solve anything, but like it was managed kind of, um, life was just busy. So I kept going. I had my kids. I was working a couple days a week, um, as a dental assistant, you know, you're just busy and you just, you just like suck it up. Right. You just kind of keep going. Um, again, like I said, I, when I, when it would get bad, I would just cry and cry and want to leave. And I never, sometimes I wasn't sure if I was serious. I would just be like sobbing and then I'd laugh and I'd say, I have a valid passport and I have some cash stashed away. Mm -hmm. I might just use it. And, (laughs) you know, my family would be like, (laughs) is she serious? (laughs) Yeah, probably should have got some more help. Um, But John was always there to help me with anything and everything. He... I want to say like he has the front row seat to my circus, but that's not even true because he, he's like with me. He's not watching me. He sees me. And you know that difference. Oh yeah. I was going to, as you were talking about him, I was thinking that's amazing that you have somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause some people don't have somebody right. as supportive right, or willing to understand, mm-hmm. even if they don't suffer from the same thing, especially mm-hmm. when that thing is like, hidden in a sense, like it's not out there. You don't have one of those illnesses, yeah. you know, you yeah. have a, and he does not, um, have anxiety like mm-hmm. I do or depression or, I mean, I see him as like, he's solid and of course he's human. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have this great relationship. Um, but we have different opinions or we argue sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, well, I'll do the silent treatment and then later I'll feel bad. (laughs) Like we are not perfect. We're messy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But something that he did after I had Mason that I will never forget is I remember just like sitting on the couch, Mason's little, and I've got this three-year-old like Jacob, he's running around and I'm thinking I've, I'm dealing with postpartum depression. I've got anxiety at the time. I didn't know that's what it was, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this three-year-old? Like, how am I going to keep him safe, busy, etc.? you know? And so I was brainstorming and I said to John, maybe we could do like a sandbox in the backyard and then he could go out and play while I'm in the house taking care of the baby. It was two days later, we had a sandbox. Mm-hmm. So I am so grateful that he's like, he just follows through and it's fast. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of times it's faster than I expect. Well, probably cause he knows you've been thinking about that sandbox longer than the day that you were. That's true. Right? So he's like, I know she's serious. Cause this has been a thought process. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah, yeah. And the other side is like, if I do that and make the kids happy, she'll be happier. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. good man. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, in my This is so funny. Fast forward to like two weeks ago in my most recent panic attack. um, I'm losing it. And it's because like, I literally just don't feel good enough. I don't feel like I'm keeping up. And he has like learned how to help me. Right. And I mean, we're like an hour and a half probably into this conversation, John and I, And he says something and this light bulb comes on in my head and I'm like, 
you just want me to be happy. You want to help me. And he's like, yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. Aww. I know. I don't know. So it's funny how sometimes, like, I don't see it. Mm-hmm. But I'm so grateful for him. Um, and there's been so many other things that he's done like that. But that's just like one example. Mm-hmm. Like he's just, he's so all in. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for him. Um, so going back to babies, September, 2013. So, um, I was pregnant and when I get pregnant at the beginning, I am sick, like just sick, sick, sick. And it lasts all day and it gets worse at night and eating anything feels yucky. And like, we've tried the medications from the doctor and nothing helps. Um, Anyway, and it was like this with every pregnancy. Um, We go in for my first visit, and I was 10 or 11 weeks. And the ultrasound tech goes and gets the doctor. And she comes in and she explains, like, there's no heartbeat. And what you've got is called a blighted ovum. And, I mean, she's talking and I don't even hear it. Like, I'm gone in my head. I don't know what's happening. John's there. He's got like little baby Mason on his lap kind of a thing. And I mean, I'm just shocked. And I sit there and she looks at me because I think it was probably my turn to say something at this point. I had zoned out and I'm like, can you just start over from the beginning? Because I don't know what you just said. I couldn't process. So My doctor's amazing. I've seen her for probably 20 years. I will never (laughs) see anyone else. Please never move. (laughs) Please never quit. Never retire. Um, Anyway, so she starts again and um, explains everything. So I understand. um, And she says, you can either have surgery, but but this is, you're not going to have a baby. Um, Or you can take a pill and it's going to help everything just kind of process on its own. So that's what I decided to do. I go to the pharmacy and I'm in the drive-thru and my mom calls. And if anyone knows my mom, she's amazing. Like you want her in your corner kind of a person. Um, Now on this day, I answered the phone. I don't know why I answered the phone. That's not a good time to answer the phone. You're in the drive-thru. You just got this bad news. But I answered the phone and she says, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, and then I just start to sob and she is asking what's wrong. And I couldn't say anything for a minute. And then I just said, I was going to have a baby, but now I'm not. And, you know, we, we need each other. <laughs> you know, why I think of so many situations where we just hold it in. And if we would just connect, I don't know. Um, so I talked to my mom and, you know, I said, mom, it was going to be perfect. And she said, nothing is really perfect. And it made me mad <laughs> because I'm like, yes, it is. Cause I'm in charge and it's going to be the way I want. <laughs> um, so she came over, she helped, um, with the kids. She stayed for hours, Um, John came home from work for whatever reason. I remember going and picking up Jacob from kindergarten and seeing somebody 
And, you know, they're like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm so good. How are you? Like, it was not good. Mm -hmm. Um, So later that night, um, the miscarriage happened at home. It was awful. I was so sick. Um, And it was hard. It was hard going through that. Um, And I think that was a time strangely enough that I'm grateful for because it helps me connect with people who have had similar experiences. Um, now something that I think is tricky. I know a lot of people have had this, the blighted ovum. Um, I really felt like there was a baby and when you read about it, a lot of the, um, I don't know, documentation. A lot of the information says that there's not a baby, that it's it's just something that I'm going to read it. Uh, it says when a fertilized egg doesn't develop into an embryo. Um, but something that I read recently says, or an embryo stops growing early on in pregnancy soon after implantation. So, like, I believe I was having a baby, so I was crushed. Mm-hmm. Um it was just a really hard thing, but I think it brought John and I closer and I'm grateful that I can understand that, you know, just to connect with others. Even it's a hard thing. Um, so it took us a while to get pregnant. Um, we tried for maybe a year and we went through the whole cycle of you just had this miscarriage. I was anemic for a while. I was so sick Um, I would get dizzy and you had to wait and I don't remember how long, but we had to wait for a while to try again. And when we did, it was like that every month, are we pregnant? No, we're not. Are we pregnant? No, we're not. (laughs) And again, like that was so hard, but I'm grateful for what I learned coming out on the other side. Um, so then we had our third Lucas, and he was born in May of 2015. Um, I think because of just, you know, the experiences I'd had before, um, I was scared. I was scared to have this baby. And he was big, and he was healthy, and, you know, they just kept saying everything's fine, and he was fine. He was so fine. So he was a scheduled C-section. Again, my body just doesn't go into labor I have no chance. So he was scheduled. Um, We were in the parking lot that morning, walking into the hospital. Ooh, I wonder if it was afternoon. He might've been an afternoon appointment and that's, I had lots of time to panic. So we pull into the parking lot either way and I get out and John's helping me and we take two steps and I just had this panic attack. And at the time I didn't know what it was, but I... I don't know. I started crying, like shaking. I couldn't stand up. And I'm like, I just can't do this. He's like, what do you mean? (laughs) I'm like, I can't have a baby today. He's like, uh, what do you want me to do? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. So we go and we get in the car again and we're sitting there and he's like, we're maybe going to be late for the appointment. I'm like, I can't even breathe. (laughs) I was freaking out. 
Um, so we took maybe five minutes. I don't know. And I let it out and I calmed down and he's like, okay, we can do this. Can you do this? And so we get out and we go into the hospital and we get up to labor and delivery and she's like, hi, what can we help you with today? You know, you kind of have to tell them what's what. And I just start all over again. And she's like, Oh, are you okay? Are you in pain? I'm like, I'm not in any pain. (laughs) I mean, I'm 39 weeks pregnant. Um, anyway, so I get calmed down again and I go into my room and we get everything, all the monitors hooked up and I meet my nurse and it starts all over again. (laughs) I mean, just waves of these one after another. And she's like, have you had any problems with delivery in the past? And I'm thinking, well, no, not really. (laughs) Um, I don't know why I'm freaking out, but I am. Um, And she looked at me and she's like, do we need to reschedule you? And something snapped in me and I'm like, well, no, (laughs) I'm here to have a baby. (laughs) She's like, okay, can you do this? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, what's your birth plan? And I'm like, crap I don't have a birth plan I have a c-section I'm scheduled like that's it right Mm -hmm. um so I kind of lost it again all over and finally I mean it was exhausting so finally I calmed down and she's like all right should we talk about the birth plan and I'm like I'm gonna kill you about this birth plan (laughs) I'm like okay how about just stay calm can that be my plan and she said yes so she writes it on the whiteboard and after that I was fine Weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, his delivery was my best. Like the C-section went fine. I felt fine afterwards. He was nine pounds, seven and a half ounces. So he's like this nine and a half pound baby, right? Um, and, you know, you just look at them and you love them and it's fine and it's worth it. And it's all good. Um I thought that I didn't have a lot of postpartum with him, but I recognize looking back, why do you have to get out of the situation to actually see what you were doing? I don't know Um, that I did. It just maybe wasn't quite as extreme as with Mason. Um, Lucas was kind of a strong willed and a little bit of a wild toddler but I'm like it's okay um like he's fierce but he's got this huge heart right um and I knew that I wanted to have a fourth like no question so we get ready and we have Andy Andy is our last and we knew he was going to be our last and what I loved so much about his pregnancy is we decided that his gender was going to be a surprise and kind of what's funny is I loved how everyone around me, either people loved it or they hated it. Mm -hmm. They're like, how can you have your fourth baby and you have all boys? Like, what if it's a girl? (laughs) And I'm like, that'd be great. They're like, well, what if it's a boy? I'm like, that'll be great. I just want Like, this is my last pregnancy. I want to enjoy it. I don't want to worry about all the stuff I've always worried about. I just want 
to be like the happiest pregnant lady that's ever been. Right. And I think I did a pretty good job and I don't think I was faking either. Like I felt strong. I felt confident. I felt happy. And for a lot of people, these are not normal pregnancy things. And I can relate to that because I still had the morning sickness. I still felt huge. I still felt achy. I was exhausted. Like there were those things, but I was just so happy. Um, I like would go on big walks all the time. I would mow my lawn. Like I just, I don't know. I was probably overdoing it because I wanted to prove how happy I was. Um, so Andy was born in May of 2018 and he was eight pounds, 14 ounces. So all my babies have been just these big, healthy babies. Um, delivery was rough though. And I went into my pregnancy and delivery just saying like, don't have any expectations. Take it one thing at a time, one day at a time. But my C-section was something that I messed up on mentally, I think, because I'm like, oh, you know how it is. You go in, you, you know, I knew the steps. I'd done it three times already. Um, so I unintentionally had expectations of what would happen. Um, what happened is I had planned on getting my tubes tied, um, because we were done for sure. And when you have a C-section, they're already in there. Let's not do more surgeries than we need to. So she goes to, you know, kind of look at my fallopian tubes and because of multiple C-sections, I had adhesions. So my uterus was basically stuck to my abdominal wall and it was really, really stuck. So, um, she's like, Oh, um, we'll take care of that in a minute. Let's just get your baby delivered healthy and happy. So we did. And he was great. He was healthy. Um, it was so fun. Like when he came out and it was a surprise, like, Hey, it's a boy. Um, I loved that. Uh, so then she went on to work on my tubes and it was like, you could feel the pulling and tugging, which is normal for a C-section, but like it started to burn. I felt like I was on fire and I think that my anesthetic was not working. I think that it was wearing off and I had a really nice, but a really chatty anesthesiologist. And I kind of mentioned it to him, like, this is not feeling good. And he's like, oh, it's okay. You're going to feel some pulling and tugging. And I'm like, well, it kind of feels like more than that. And he's like, you're going to be okay. There's just this much more and you just need to be still and it's going to be okay. And I'm like, okay, you know, just, you're going to be fine. And, um, it hurt. Like I, <laughs> it hurt a lot. I was just burning and burning and I started shaking. Um, I started throwing up and I they, I couldn't even hold Andy because I was so scared I was going to drop him. Um, so they got done and wheeled me back into my room for recovery. And I remember kind of like trying to situate myself on the bed. And the nurse looked at me 
And she's like, why are you moving your legs? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you're moving your legs. You shouldn't be able to move your legs. Are you, do you feel something? And I'm like, yeah, I've been on fire for like half an hour now. <laughs> like it hurts a lot. She's like, uh, that's not okay. Do you want something for the pain? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Can you give me something? Why haven't I had something sooner? Um, so I felt like I kind of just had the last half of a C-section, but I felt it. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was really traumatic and I didn't process that well. Um, it took me a long time to figure out like what just happened. And I wanted this delivery to go better than it went, if that makes sense. Um, anyway, I, I think that's where I really started to notice that, I put pressure on myself to be okay, even though I was not okay. Um, I started feeling the postpartum depression. I thought that Lucas was hard, but Andy's like all the other animal. <laughs> I love Andy with all of my heart, but he's hard. And I don't even know the best way to explain him. <laughs> he is sweet, but he is so, so energetic from the time he was five months old and he learned that he could move. He has not stopped moving <laughs> ever. Um, he is a talker. He'll talk and talk and he's the one in church, like the loud kid. So, you know, you're sitting there and maybe it's testimony meeting and he's like, by the power of gray school. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Or, I mean, that's just him playing. Um, he'll yell out like, Mom, you're the worst. You're stupid. And people around you are laughing because they get it. They're not judging you. But then one day he's like, Mama, you're a princess. But he whispers it so no one can hear. Good times. <laughs> um, anyway, when he was little, he would cry and cry and cry and cry. And he wouldn't sit still, so he couldn't sleep. And I had that feeling of, like, I love my baby, but I do not like my baby. I resent him, and I hate admitting that, but I did a lot. Um, and when things would be better, I would get some sleep, and it would be okay. Um I would have, and this is the strangest thing. I was really glad. I don't remember if it was Haley or McKenzie that talked about it in their podcast. I would have those intrusive thoughts where like everything's fine. Like you're rocking them or something, but you suddenly feel like, what if I drop them when I'm walking down the stairs? Or what if I trip and like I fall on them and I had no intention of hurting them but those things would come. Um, I constantly felt like my job as a mom was just to prevent all these terrible things from happening. And they were always coming to my mind. Um, so I wonder, do you guys know if like postpartum depression that isn't treated or is unresolved, does that lead? Does it continue into just like major depressive disorder do you know the answer what do you think, I think it can totally I, yeah I because it just it like can, I don't know. 
It's like, if you picture it like a snowball at the top mm-hmm. of a hill, just a little postpartum depression. Yeah. But you don't, you don't look at it. It just rolls into your regular life and just gets bigger, mm-hmm. you know? And all of a sudden you're not no longer postpartum. You're worried about everything. You're depressed mm-hmm. about everything. So yeah, I think so. So that's honestly what, where I feel like I'm at. Like I'm 15 years into being a mom and I'm like, how, 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 am, how is this me? How did this happen? Yet, like, I'm happy because I have this great life. I have everything I've ever wanted. Um, but why am I not feeling quite right? So it was in the fall of 2020. And I really finally began to understand, like, you really do have anxiety. You really do have depression. Um And like I said before, I just kind of assumed I functioned at a higher level of stress than other people. Um, I was listening to, it's called a Zoominar. So it's like Zoom, but it's like an online class. Um, It's by Thomas Phelan. So he is a psychologist in Chicago and he was talking about anxiety. And I've kind of listened to him um, for like parenting stuff. And finally, he had something for the parent. I'm like, yes, I'm all on this. So he started um, talking about, it was like a slideshow with a thermometer. And so he gave various situations saying, um, you know, maybe a person who doesn't have anxiety in a public speaking situation, they're going to feel like up to maybe level one or level two or three, like they're nervous, they're a little jittery but they're okay. And you take a person who has anxiety and just by the thought of being asked to speak in public, they're like at a seven, like they're dizzy, they're shaking, their palms are sweating. And then they notice those, those physical reactions and they think people are going to see this. And so it, it just elevates and elevates and elevates. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's me. I relate to that. Um, I had just always been so hesitant to own it because I never wanted to undermine what anybody else was going through. You know, you hear other people's stories, other people's situations, and mine just didn't feel good enough. It didn't feel valid Mm -hmm. until I heard him explain all these varieties of situations. Um, or he'd talk about, like I know the feeling of not wanting to get out of bed in the morning because you wake up and he explained this. And this is literally what used to happen to me. I'm better at it now, but you wake up and your mind instantly is like, it's like, you know, when your device doesn't update, it's like uploading all these things. So your mind starts uploading. I need to do this and I need to do this. And yesterday I forgot to do that. And before you're even out of bed, like you've failed. And you don't want to try anymore. Like you're just being down. Um, the other thing that made it hard for me to recognize is I didn't feel like I had any specific major event or major trauma. Um, I, I don't want to blame, like place blame on anything. Um, I feel like, you know, you want to be responsible and take care of yourself kind of thing. Um, I grew up in a family where we didn't talk a lot about emotions. I think that's generational. So again, like I'm not blaming. Um, but I, 
was kind of raised a little bit like, you know, toughen up or push through it. Or I think this was my own interpretation, but like fake it till you make it. Like just put on a face and do what you have to do. Um, until finally one day, you know, when I listened to Dr. Phelan, I'm like, oh, I am not making it. I cannot fake it anymore. Um, I need some more help and I want to live differently on the inside, you know, where no one can see. Um, so therapy, (laughs) I should go. (laughs) I haven't gone. Um, I can tell you like what holds me back, but like, what do you guys, what do you guys think? Well, I think, cause you're like therapy, <laughs> there's so many different forms of therapy. Like mm-hmm. you're doing therapy by listening to that doctor. That's true. Right. But yes, like talk therapy is a good form of therapy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many other forms of therapy. So it's what fits into your life, what you're comfortable with, what you want to do. That's what I believe. I don't know. That's true. Yeah. I hated talk therapy. Um, but I tried it too soon after my daughter died, mm-hmm. I think, and it wasn't the right fit. And now I'm in love. Like I love therapy so much. It's just so freeing to go and tell someone everything you're thinking and they validate it all. And then you can walk away and you can just, you know, I don't know. I don't, I say, try it before you decide, like you can get free consultations, find the right therapist and just Mm -hmm. see, you know, um, I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think Kelty's a talk therapy kind of girl. No, I did like Um, six sessions. Yeah. And (laughs) my therapist pretty much told me I was done. Oh, (laughs) so I was like, okay. (laughs) No, no, no. I don't think I'll ever be out of therapy at this point. (laughs) I feel like she probably in her mind was like, I don't want to deal with you. (laughs) But anyways, what I was going to say, like bounce off of wit is that like that better help. Yeah. That online therapy, like you can get on and search for people and do video if you don't want to necessarily go into. Yeah. I don't know. I just think you got to open your mind to it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know, just try it. You can try everything before you decide what's right for you, right? There's more holistic ways. There's medicine ways. Like there's so many things. And I think once I was open to trying again, or actually I think I just hit a wall and it was like, I'm doing this or something bad is going to happen. And now that I'm in it, I I do feel like I tell my therapist all the time, I'm just a lost cause. I have too much. And she's like, no, we will get through this. You know, it's a lot of work but it is so rewarding. So I don't know. So I think that's what's holding me back is it's a lot of work. And it's not that I don't think I'm worth it because I do. Um, It's, I think it's my anxiety holding me back because I'm like, oh, what if I don't find the right therapist? What if I feel like it's a waste of my time? Too many what ifs. So I probably should look into that, but I just want to be real in saying like, That's one of the things that I'm like, oh, maybe I should, but I haven't. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is cost. Like you've heard my doctor actually, as I'm thinking about this, last time I went in, she's like, have you thought about going to therapy? And I'm like, yeah, kind of. And she's like, well, we can get you an appointment. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And oh, let me think. I want to say we scheduled something and they're like, hey, we'll run your insurance and let you know how much you should expect to pay. And I think the first time it was going to be like 
several hundred dollars. And I'm like, and I'm out. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And they're like, I felt bad. I felt stupid. But they're like, it's okay. Like maybe in the future or maybe you find other sources or maybe, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And really quick, I just want to mention a lot of workplaces. I don't know where your husband works or if you still work. They offer therapy. Did you guys know that? No. You can call your insurance or your employer and just see if they provide something for your family for free. Hmm. Like my husband's employer provides free therapy. And a lot of government jobs do as well. So check into that because you might be able to find somewhere that is free for you or a lower cost. Like Um, included with. Yes, with your benefits that you just don't even realize. Mm -hmm. That's smart. Um, And another way to look at it is like when I had babies, I had C-sections as well. And Mm -hmm. you know, when you go, I don't know if you guys as doctors do this, but like you had to pay for your delivery in advance, Mm -hmm. at least your doctor side. Right. Yeah. And so like I made a payment every time I went to the doctor Mm -hmm. and it was a lot of money, Yeah. you know, and then I had to pay my hospital bill. So kind of just think of it that way. It's like investing in yourself. It's not a new baby, but it's Mm -hmm. investing in yourself. So even if you start at one time a month, I think I pay, I, before I hit my deductible, it's like a hundred dollars, hundred and twenty mm-hmm. or something. Like, yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah, but I have to invest that in myself, right? Um, and so change your mind, shift your mind about mm-hmm. it. Like, yeah, it's a lot of money, but what can you? What are you getting out of that? Exactly. You know, like, are you spending two dollars a day on a diet coke at Maverick, like me? A <laughs> dollar <laughs> six, okay. But got the refill cup. <laughs> but in a month, how much is that? Mm-hmm. And if I stopped doing that and went to therapy and said, "Is the benefit worth it?" Do you know right. what I mean? So oh, I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. I think sometimes we look at cost and we get scared, mm-hmm. which it's trust me, I get it. It's yeah. hard. It's intimidating. It's stressful, but. Sometimes I think we have to prioritize things and shift our minds. Right. And so I'm not saying that for you. I'm just saying in general. So if that helps at all, think about it. Mull it over. I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to simmer that. But also check (laughs) into those benefits because you never know. Mm -hmm. And also church. Church has um, those resources as well. So I know you can reach out and get that. And I think it's free. So I don't know if that's an option as well. But I just thought I'd mention that. No, I'm glad that you did. And that's why I love like opening up because like we help each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. they have like, like you said, a class through church and it's funny because it's like a 12 week class and you have to go for a couple hours once a week. And I filled out the Google form and I'm like, well, if I don't really actually want to go, I don't have to, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm so on the fence. Yeah. But I filled out the form like that was a couple days yeah. ago. You so, should do it. Like and baby steps. Yeah. Your fear about it being a lot <laughs> of work therapy. is valid. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of work. I will mm-hmm. say that. But here is what I feel. I look forward to my appointments. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work while I'm there. Yeah. It's a lot of work to be vulnerable, put myself out there, cry, whatever, do the work I need to do. Yeah. But afterwards, just that one hour is hard, right? Mm. Afterwards, I might feel tired, like exhausted from it all, but then I feel so refreshed. Hmm. So just remember it's hard work, but only really while you're there and it's so worth it. Mm. And you'll just feel regenerized the next day, hopefully, you know? Yeah. So the point is to help you feel better, not make you feel like you're going to have like a laundry list of homework to do, (laughs) or it's going to be exhausting forever. You know, I don't know. There's just more benefits than there's not, at least for me. That's good. I'm glad that you shared that. Um, so one thing that I keep realizing is I felt like 
in order to even like come and talk on the podcast, like I had to have it all figured out first. I'm like, don't worry, Kelsey, I'm going to come on that podcast as soon as I've got all the answers Mm -hmm. or I'm going to come once I'm better, once I've got it figured out. Um, This is not something that is like check and I'm done. It's a process and it's something that for me, I just have to learn to manage. And I think it's definitely a journey. It's not like just one event. Um, so another thing that I want to say is I think something that has made me hesitant to talk about my anxiety and depression and like those postpartum situations is I see the people who have gone through so many hard things, right? Um, I see the people who families who would give anything to have a child or moms who would give anything to be able to stay at home. Um, somebody who would just give anything to have a supportive husband, um, all those things. And I think for a long time I thought I have those things. So my feelings don't count. They're not valid. Um, so I worried a lot about what other people would think, but I know now that that's not true. Mm -hmm. So I can still see people in their challenges, but accept my own because it's not about comparing, if that makes sense. Um, so I first started talking to people and I really began with like my allies. So my husband, um, and, and each of these situations, you know, kind of were different. So my husband, I've talked to you about how awesome of a support he is. Um, my mom, like when I kind of opened up to my mom, it was really hard because I told you we didn't grow up talking about feelings. And over the years, we've gotten better at that just a little bit. And she was great. She just listened. And that's what I needed. So sometimes just being a listener. Um, I talked to really close friends and some relatives. And then eventually I would just talk to people that maybe I didn't know very well, but I, I would try to be sensitive to sharing for connection and not like oversharing. I know that there have been some times where I blurt out something, um, maybe like not at the right time. And it kind of gives that awkward like, okay, that was oversharing for this moment <laughs> kind yeah. of a thing. I don't, I don't know. I'm an oversharer. So <laughs> like, that's who I am. So I, when I can sit with people like that in a way, mm-hmm. I feel like connection in that way. Yeah. And and I'm super open to that too. And I think I've had to gauge the person and the situation and like, mm-hmm. okay, rein it in just a little. <laughs> um, so right away, it was like terrifying. It was humiliating. Um, I'm super, super hard on myself. Like I said, I had no reason to feel the way that I felt. Um, I just kept thinking I need to get it together. And everybody was just kind. They were patient. They were understanding. Um, and a lot of times people would open up to me. And I loved that mm-hmm. because I thought... Like, I want to be that for them because I know how good it felt for me to share and 
let that out. Um, so finally I was open to trying medication. Um, that was two years ago and I was scared. I was so scared to ask about starting medication and she told me on the phone um, everyone's the best there. I could like name them one by one, but everyone is the best at my doctor's office. Um, she could tell like I was struggling and she just told me like, this is brave and it's strong. Um, it shows your strength that you are recognizing this. And, you know, she gave me that affirmation. Don't compare your thing to what other people are going through. Um, everybody has their things and it just takes courage to recognize that this is what's going on and that you need help. So I appreciated that so much, just Mm -hmm. kind of that reassurance that like, this is going to be hard, but it's okay. Um, so let's see. Um, I think the first time, like I said, I considered doing medication. It was back after Mason was born. Um, And honestly, what made me worry, what made me not do it was like the cost. I was so scared of side effects because I'm like, I am already feeling pretty crazy right now. Let's not. I just worried that the medication would make it worse. Um, And I've heard like, oh, it could be a really long road until you find the right medication for you. So I was just like, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm going to do my own thing. But I was, I was just ready to do something different this time. Um, so I guess one other hurdle that I should mention is when I had Andy, I was really, really excited to be like medication free, 100%. I wasn't taking anything for any reason. And I'm like, this is going to be so awesome. Um, for the first time in how many years I'm going to have no medication. I'm not going to have birth control. I'm not going to be pregnant. I'm not going to be breastfeeding. I'm going to be like a normal person. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, (laughs) it was fun for me to think that for a little while. I did not expect to find myself here. Um, I always, always wanted to manage this without medication. So like I used all the coping strategies, exercise, rest, eating good. And I still kind of try to use those things for sure. Um, One thing that I know I'm not good at is taking time for myself. Um, I know that this goes along with perfectionism. Like Kelsey and I, we've talked about this, but I have recognized that I tie my worth to my accomplishments or to what I get done in a day. Um, I base my worth on my productivity. I have the mindset that I need to have something substantial to show for my time and to show for myself. Don't you think Mm -hmm. a lot of people do this? I agree. I don't know. And I have to remind myself like, yeah. Because I still get in that mindset, mm-hmm. even though I know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I have to like talk myself through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, no, that's not how yeah. life works, guys. Yeah. yeah. So. And it's okay to have a bad day and mm-hmm. do nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about like the symptoms that I was noticing that really like made me decide to do something different. Um, I was exhausted. I was totally fatigued. I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. 
I couldn't make it through the day without a nap. Um, I felt like crying. I was overwhelmed. I was restless, irritated. Um, I wrestled with guilt over just never being good enough. Um, I felt small, insignificant, unseen, kind of that hopeless. Um, I don't know. I mean, if you Google it, like all of the above. <laughs> uh, so I still have these. It, it just seems like they're so much less often. Um, and I still have to be aware of how I spend my time because of the emotional toll that things take. And it's real, like it's weird, but sometimes I'll kind of go through something. And then the next day I'm like, I am so tired. What's going on? Well, it's your emotional energy. You're zapped. Um, I have a hard time making decisions. I think that's been a lifelong thing, but I can tell when my anxiety or my depression is like peaking. I really, really have a hard time with that. Um, and then there's times where like, I just can't and I'm learning to love myself the way that I am, which is super hard. But I try to think of myself as like when I was a little girl. And that it's weird that that helps. But if you think of like a child or if you think of like a family member or a friend, mm -hmm. like how would you treat them when they're feeling this way? Mm -hmm. Like our internal monologue is usually not very nice, right? Um, anyway, I'm working on that. <laughs> I feel like just listening to you, you are doing a ton of things that they would teach you in therapy. Anyways, oh, good. You know? Like oh, good. <laughs> talking to your, you know, the your inner child and stuff like that. Mm. So, I mean, you're doing a great job, mm. you know? Yeah. Thank you. That's good. Um so the first medication I started with was called Zoloft and like you have to take these for a while to know if they're working. It's not like instantly. Mm -hmm. So after a month I knew for sure it was not my medication. My depression was so much worse. Um, I was like downward spiraling. So I talked to my doctor and right away we just changed to Wellbutrin. Um, what's crazy is they say like, oh, you might feel a little bit of an extra boost of energy or whatever. Okay, it was like a lot of extra energy and I had all the ideas to do everything. I was gonna do everything. I was gonna get it done. It was gonna be fast. It was gonna be great. And I would wake up on Monday morning and all of my ideas, it would take me like a week to accomplish all these ideas that I had that I was gonna do in one day. Um, I'm glad that went away. Because for a while, it was kind of crazy, um, but it felt good. Um, so this is also interesting. I started using um, a NuvaRing because I was trying to maybe level out my hormones a little bit. Um, so I don't know if you guys, I think every woman is different, right? But for me... I have noticed that it's pretty common that my emotions run with my cycle. They go with my period. And so I have got an app that I've used for a long time. It's called Clue. And I track um, 
all sorts of things in there. So if I am feeling like really down or really low on energy, or if I'm feeling awesome or whatever, like I track it and I've tracked it for a couple of years and it's helped me so much because I would overgeneralize or I would just catastrophize my life. I'd be like, every time when my period's coming, I am just a mess and it lasts for two weeks. Okay, track it for six months. That was not true. Maybe every year I have like a couple that are bad, but that's it. And man, I'm grateful I started tracking that because it's helped me realize um, maybe that I'm not always an emotional mess. It's just sometimes. And so when that happens, I can look at my app and I'm like, oh, this is why you're feeling this way today. This is why it's so much worse. Be patient with yourself because in a couple of days, you're going to be just fine. And I seriously just try to take it a little bit easier on myself those days. And then it's so much better. So that's something that I've learned. But um, at the time, I was trying this Nuva ring to level out my hormones. And after about three months, I quit using it. Have you guys ever heard of it or used this Nuva ring? I've used it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my experience was weird. <laughs> it's like this ring and you just like slide it up inside. And it just kept like slipping around, like falling out. And it was super uncomfortable. And we don't know why. Like I have not had vaginal deliveries. So it's not like there's a good reason for things to just be falling out, <laughs> but it was. So I called the doctor and I'm like, hey, I think that the Nuva ring might be doing something weird. And they're like, well, are you doing this? Are you doing this? And I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm making sure to do what I'm supposed to do to get it in the right place. And they're like, well, that's kind of unusual. And I'm like, yeah, well, I don't think I'm going to use it anymore. <laughs> so I quit that. Um, but it is unusual. So I guess it works for a lot of people if you just want to like level things out. Um, they recommended, oh my goodness, what's it called? IUD, an IUD. I used one like in between pregnancies and it was totally fine for me. Some people have not had good experiences, but I was okay. So they said, maybe try this. And I'm like, eh, no, thanks. I'm gonna only get started on Wellbutrin and do one thing at a time and maybe down the road. So I haven't gone back to messing with my hormones. Um, I think doing too many new things at a time is not good. So anyway, um, okay. So fast forward to like April, 2021, we went to St. George for spring break and I don't know if John and I had an argument. Um, we were going home. We were done. We had stayed in this hotel for like five nights and I was just overstimulated in every way. And I know that that is not a good thing for me. Like I need downtime. I need space. I need, I know what I need. Right. And I was just like, you know what? It's going to be spring break and we're going to take the kids and it's going to be great. And I really don't remember what triggered me, um, but I had some sort of an anxiety attack as we were driving home and I was just 
but it would, I don't know. I was like really, really keeping it to myself because I didn't want the kids to see it because that's one of my fears. I don't, don't do you, as a mom, do you worry? Like, how is my trauma going to affect my kids? And I hope that I can teach them that having trauma is okay, but you also have to I don't know, manage it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I just didn't want them to see me like losing it. So I really just kept it in and kept it in. And this is one of those situations where I felt like, like we're driving home from St. George and I just was ready to open the door and just roll out. And if I died, it was fine. And again, it was one of those weird out of body experiences because you're like, I don't really want this, but this is my plan. Like, for whatever reason, I felt like I knew it wasn't rational. I knew it wasn't right. But that's where I was at. Um, I don't know. I I don't feel like I can explain it very well. Or I, You couldn't control it. Um, eventually, I started talking <laughs> to John. And like we worked it out, right? Um And I, again, I wish I could remember what triggered me. That's probably not what's important. Um, I am getting better at recognizing my triggers. And so I don't feel like I'm at as big of risk as I was in the past. Um, Anyway, I used the Wellbutrin on its own for about a year. And like, really, I just felt like some dizziness, but I was feeling like generally better. And then the next spring, so 2022, I started feeling a lot more anxiety and depression than typical. Um, I had just filled my prescription and I noticed that the little pills looked different. Um, I'd just been using like a generic and it wasn't a problem. So my refill was generic. It was just from a different manufacturer. And I wondered if it made a difference. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, you're just being sensitive. Like, get over yourself. It's fine. So I waited about a month and I just kept getting worse. Like I wasn't happy again. Um, so I called the pharmacist. Do you guys call the pharmacist and talk to them? No. They are awesome. <laughs> Every time very smart. they are so smart. Like I've told you so many times, like I called my doctor and talked about this or I talked, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Call your pharmacist. I used to do um, a they pharmacist hair. I used to do oh, her hair. Yeah. She's brilliant. Like they're yes. very they're smart so people. Smart. Yeah. So I say like, not only advocate for yourself and do what feels good for you and for your body and for your mind, but use your resources. So like you have your doctor, get a good doctor, but talk to your pharmacist if you're using medication, mm-hmm. any medication. I agree. Because you, I would almost not even think about it. But since I've started taking like antidepressants mm-hmm. and anti-anxiety medications, they have helped me so much. Well, and I think the story that you're getting ready to tell is very important. So Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so I called and so he said... Um, when I refilled the prescription because it was from a different manufacturer than the one that I'd been using the previous year, people can be sensitive to that. And when I do my prescriptions, I get like a whole year at a time. Cause I, you know what I mean? Like I'd tried 
this and that, and I'd found what was working for me. So I'm like, just give me the whole year. <laughs> Let's not come in every 30 to 60 days. Um, anyway, he, he said people really can be sensitive to that and it could be anything. He said that in generics, they are monitored by the FDA to have like the right medication in it, but it could be, um, oh gosh, what did he call it? like whatever they use to make the pill stay in pill form. It could be like the binding agent. It could be whatever that's different from one manufacturer to the other. And people's bodies can absorb that differently. So he's like, maybe that first one you were getting, you know, 80% of the medication or 90%, but maybe with this new manufacturer, you're only getting 50 or 40 because your body's not absorbing it. So I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I've never heard of that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Well, not cool, but it's good to know. Right. Yeah. Like I was so glad that I called him. Anyway, so um, interestingly enough, we got the medication from the same manufacturer and, you know, the original one. And tried it for a few months, and I literally felt no difference. So it did not help me. Mm. Um, They say that you can go through kind of like a relapse. So I believe that's what was happening to me. Um, So in July, I decided to increase my dose. I didn't want to switch medications or add a new medication. I'm like, hey, this is working. Let's just increase it. So I went up from 150 milligrams of Wellbutrin XL to 300 milligrams. And that's the only two doses that they have. Um, So I started to notice side effects like the probably for the first three weeks. And it was things like really, really crazy dreams. Um, I wish I could remember some of them to tell you because I have crazy dreams. But these were like really, really out there. I would wake up exhausted. It was like doing a full day of wild things. I don't even know what. And so you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm beat. (laughs) Or I'd wake up um, like just in this full body sweat. Um, I had major, major dizziness for that first three weeks. So I would just be like standing in my kitchen and I'd have to grab onto the countertop because I'm like, I am spinning. Um, And then remember that little boost of energy when I started Wellbutrin the first time? So double it, okay? I had this huge boost in energy. Um, I like to run. And I ran 75 miles that month because I would just like go run five miles and feel awesome. And then the next day I'd wake up and I'm like, I'm going to do that again. But this time I'm going to do six. And I'd be doing it like five days a week and I just felt good. But I'm like, this is not sustainable. <laughs> so anyway, um, it was it was kind of crazy. So I was that only lasted for a few weeks. So I went in, I saw my doctor. I'm like, there's these are the things that are going on. And she's like, hey, give it like one more week. And if things don't stop, then let's reassess this. And it was literally within like a couple days, everything just kind of mellowed right out. And I felt like, okay, this is okay again. Um, So then I um, started to notice that I was feeling like flatlined and it took a while. It took a couple months 
for me to start feeling this way, but I felt like numb. I was totally forgetful. I was confused all the time. Like my kids would say something to me or I'd be in a normal conversation and I would like miss everything. Like I was just totally confused. Um, I couldn't concentrate. I just felt like my head was in a cloud. Um, I forgot my dad's birthday and I didn't realize it until a week later. And I love birthdays. I know. I'm like, I feel like I need to back this up. So back this, back me know. up right here. But like <laughs> Brittany remembers everyone's birthday. She texts me my children's birthdays. Aww. Like she texts me and says, happy birthday to Nick's or happy, you know? Yeah. So like for her to miss a birthday is actually like a big deal. Yeah. So let that be known. <laughs> Thanks. In this story, <laughs> it was that, important. That was an off, a very, very off moment for her. Yeah. 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 So, um, and then the thing that I think really snapped me into attention was like I was driving and I was turning left and there were two lanes turning left and I was in the right lane and there was a big truck to the left of me and he you know, you're supposed to turn into your corresponding lane, people. Well, he didn't want to. So he literally like almost hit me. And like I I saw him, like I watched it happen. And I just kind of like got out of the way. But he didn't even see me. And I had my kids with me. And it took me a minute. Like we drove a block or two blocks. And then I'm like, I almost got hit. And I, I literally, like there was no emotion. I didn't care. It wasn't startling. My heart rate didn't increase. Like I didn't get that surge of, why can't I think of the word? Yeah. What's, what's the word when, oh gosh. Anyway, you know when something scary happens and all of a sudden, oh, oh adrenaline. adrenaline. <laughs> we, we all had a brain fart. Adrenaline. <laughs> Nothing. It was like, hmm, that happened. And then I'm like, um, that's not okay. So, you know, like I said, I talk with my doctor all the time, but I just said to her like, okay, this kind of happened and it's, it's too much for me. And she was like, this is treating your symptoms. Like you're, are you feeling as much anxiety? Are you feeling as much depression? And I'm like, no, like I feel pretty good in that sense, but I'm numb in like the good emotions. Um, so from, you know, from the medical perspective, she's like, it's hard for me to recommend that you go back down on your dose or whatever. But anyway, at this point, I'm like, hey, I know myself. I know my body. This is not right for me. And so I just transitioned myself right back to the lower dose. And it was an easy transition. Um, gratefully, I didn't have to do any sort of like tapering. I called the pharmacist again. I'm like, how do I go from 300 milligrams to 150? And he's like, oh, that's pretty simple. Just go to the 150 and you should be fine. You don't have to alternate or anything. So that's what I did. And like, I feel okay, but I'm going to be totally honest. I still wonder if I'm in the right spot. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I talked a lot about medication, but I feel like there's such this stigma about it. Sometimes I think I don't want to be on it because there's shame. But at the same time, like I know it's helped. So I don't know. 
I wanted to cover that pretty thoroughly, I guess. <laughs> well, that's perfect. I think the shame comes from something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it. Yeah. Cause nowadays it's pretty, I don't know. I love that we're more open. I do too. Like that. Yeah. It's really good. So there's been times where I think like, Oh, I've been feeling good for a while. I'm going to get off of it because wouldn't it be great to be mm-hmm. off of it? Yeah. And I don't get off mm-hmm. because I'm like, no, um, stay put for a while. Yeah. And so far I've been glad that I have. So I want to talk about things that trigger me to cause, to feel like more anxious or depressed because I feel like recognizing what triggers me helps me manage it. Mm -hmm. Um, one of those things is being like way hyper scheduled or overcommitted. So I really try not to do that. Um, my kids trigger me Mm -hmm. and this is like a Dr. Phelan thing, but he says a lot of times parents unintentionally treat their kids like little adults. So we try to reason with them. We try to like, like a lot of times my kids will say things to me that hurt my feelings. And it's because I take it as if an adult just said it to me. Like if my kids are like, mom, you are the worst. Why do you ruin everything? (laughs) Like if an adult said that to you, you'd be devastated, right? So when my kids say it to me, I'm sensitive and I'm like, oh my gosh, I do ruin everything. Okay. Not true. Mm -hmm. They're not little adults. Um, another thing is I want to give 100% for every kid. And so by the time, like I've got four kids, by the time you give 400% and I want to give a hundred percent to my husband Mm -hmm. and my mom and my dad and my brothers and my sister, do you know what I mean? And my friends and my neighbors, like what's left? I try not to do that. (laughs) Um, noise and chaos totally triggers me. Um, I call my house a brodeo because there's like these four brothers and it is wild. Um, I, the best thing that I've ever heard about parenting is that it's like a beaded necklace with no knot at the end. So you're like doing things, but it's just coming undone, like faster than you can string that necklace. (laughs) Don't you think? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's funny, but it's like, You know, I'm trying to do the laundry yesterday and Andy takes it off my bed and just like piece by piece strings it all over the house. Like, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We went on a trip with friends and it was kind of as I was starting medication. So one of our friends said, what triggers your anxiety? Is it going to be being away from the kids? And I'm like, no. (laughs) Um, Last year, John got a job for work um, in Kauai. So like Hawaii. And I'm like, I'm coming with you. And I am that person that I can go on a trip. And this was great because he, like we still had time together. We took some extra days there. But like when he went to work, I had the whole day to myself. And I loved being alone And I didn't realize how much I needed to just be alone. I would read a book. I would sit there. I would go for a run, whatever. Um, But I loved that. I'm not that parent that like misses their kids so much that they want to come home from a trip. And I feel like some guilt in admitting that. But do you think it has something to do with you being a stay at home mom too? Like you're with them 
24 seven. It's not it like does. you work full time and then go home yeah. or work part time and then go home. Yeah. Like you're their main care. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. Like I'm there all the time. Yeah. 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 And honestly, you deserve that break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You deserve to take time out and not miss them for a period of time. So, cause you appreciate them, you know, you're going to go mm-hmm. back and spend time with them and it's okay. Yeah. You know? so don't for sure. Yourself up. No. Um, and what's interesting, I have, we call him brother Bagley. He's my 92 year old neighbor. We love him so much. I'm going to talk about him in a sec. Um, but I was visiting with him and telling him about this trip. And he's like, that's going to be so great for your mental health. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> and I'm like, you're the best. I'm going to just keep coming to see you and talk to you. And then like, I love my grandma. She's turning 95 this summer. But as I was telling her about the trip, she was like, well, let's hope that nothing tragic happens. Oh, And I'm like, and this is why I have the feelings I have. <laughs> I grew up hoping that nothing tragic will happen. <laughs> yeah, I love my grandma. Um, anyway, um, another thing that triggers me is thinking I have control. Because, like, we don't. Um, trying to fit in. So, like, changing who I truly am versus just belonging like being who I am it's different um having that achievement-based worth mentality so I recently listened to a book called fierce self-compassion and it's um it's so good I learned so much from it about self-compassion that I didn't realize before um there were parts in it that I that kind of made me feel less than for being a stay-at-home mom because the author is, I think she's very, um, she's really good, but she's really, really um, wants women to be recognized for working and for achievements and for that kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, but I'm trying to get away from achievement-based thinking. <laughs> thinking. Mm-hmm. So... I did come away feeling a little bit less than for not being more than a stay at home mom, if that makes sense. But like I could weed through that and I got a lot of good out of her book. Um, Achievement based mentality. So as I was listening to her book, I was running because it was a long book and I don't listen very good when I'm distracted at home. So I listen on my run And I kept getting these mile times because my earbuds would like um, say it in my ear. And I'm like, a 12 minute mile? Are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? And then I'm like, oh, I'm listening to a book on self-compassion. How about let's be a little nicer to yourself (laughs) Um, or this too. So like I run, um, I have a goal for myself. It's 500 miles every year and like it keeps me going, right? So I have to run year round. So I run outside. I don't have a treadmill because I need to get outside. Um, So I'm on my run one day and I'm on the sidewalk and I had turned around. Usually I just do like there and back kind of runs. And I was looking at the person's tracks on the sidewalk because I had been feeling like, gosh, you're running slow. You're, do you know what I mean? I was like being hard on myself. I'm like, oh, well, that person kind of dragged their heels a little and maybe they're dragging their toes too. Like, oh, they're probably cold and tired. It's early. It's dark. There's two inches of snow on the ground. Like, 
those were my tracks. That was me. I was nice to me when I didn't know that it was me. What in the heck? Mm-hmm. Um, if someone told me that they were out running, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In that weather or in the dark or, mm-hmm. you know, early in the morning before their kids are up, I would be like, you are amazing. Right. But why can't I give myself that grace? Yeah. Um, another trigger is just feeling like I'm never enough. So, um, working on like knowing that I'm good enough the way that I am now. So John has this awesome group of friends, right? And when we got married, it was kind of like I had my friends, he had his friends, but after time, like I didn't let that go. And this is totally on me. Um, they are so fun. They are so inclusive. They are so nice. They have been friends with each other forever and ever. And I just didn't feel like I fit. And so I put up a wall and I always just told myself like, well, they're inviting us, but they're really inviting John. Like I'm just here by default. I'm here because I am married to him and they like him and I just have to tag along. I had that mentality for years and years. And finally one day I'm like, maybe they could be your friends in your own mind if you wouldn't think that way. And changing that way of thinking like almost changed those relationships overnight. Mm -hmm. Like I love them. And I'm almost like embarrassed to say that I felt that way, but like we can be our own worst enemy, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, Okay. Another thing is there's another book by Dr. Phelan and it's called the manager mom epidemic and it has a new title now. So if you go look for it, we can list it in the resources. Mm -hmm. But anyway, these things he lists, Um, basically like women who believe certain things about themselves that they have to do a certain way. So like one of them is, I want to find a good one, um, hmm, competitor. And this is like what we believe about ourselves, but it's not true. And we have to change our way of thinking. Um, most moms feel like they should do their mothering better than other moms. If they forgot to bake cupcakes for the bake sale and another mom made two trays of chocolate brownies, they feel they should berate themselves and they're rotten. Moms should always gauge what other moms are doing and try to keep pace. Like, I don't know. Do we relate to that? I try not to relate to that one. Um, the one that I probably relate to the worst is free time. So this says mom's free time should always be spent with other family members. The idea is whole family fun. A mom who wants to spend time by herself is being selfish. Like I have huge guilt for being on my own. And there's so many others in there. And he talks about like what you can do about them and how you can get your whole family to participate in like being a family so that mom doesn't feel like she's got to do everything. Cause that's what I want. I want to like be it all for everyone. Um, And that leads right into the perfectionism mindset. (laughs) Son of a gun. Um, Okay. I just thought like being perfect was good. Mm -hmm. I thought it showed that you were trying, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember one time John's grandma 
came over to our house and she lived really close by. So she'd just like pop in sometimes. And I was like, oh, it's so messy in here. I'm so sorry. And it was like normal kid stuff. It was toys. It was like some baby food. Do you know what I mean? Normal stuff. And she just looked at me with all the love in her eyes. I can still see it. And she's like, people live here. This is okay. And I don't know. I have that problem. Like I would probably rather clean my house than get myself ready, like do my hair, my makeup. Mm. Probably shouldn't prioritize that way. (laughs) Um, One thing that I love so much that I have to mention is it's a Brene Brown book again, and it's called The Gifts of Imperfection. And I think it's like a four or five hour book. So Kelsey, I was telling you about this in my app. It's an audio book. Um, I have, I've been trying to read this book since like November. Okay. It is so good. So good that like I have my notebook and everything that she says, I'm like, bam, that's it. That's life. I have got to write this down. And so I'll pause it. I'll go back. I'll listen to it. I'll write it down. I'll write my thoughts about it. So my app says since November 24th, you've picked this book up 13 times (laughs) reading for five hours and five minutes. (laughs) how long is this book? (laughs) You're on track to finish in seven hours and 40 minutes. Like it's going to take me twice as long to read the book as the book is, Mm -hmm. but I love it that much. Um, another thing that I do is numbing. So like procrastinating or like, I feel like, well, I need a break. I'm going to go eat chocolate. Do you know what I mean? Like just things to numb whatever it is I'm feeling. Um, But I think it's important to talk about what I do to combat the anxiety and depression. Um, Definitely finding someone that you can talk to who's going to listen. So I am like preaching Brene Brown here. (laughs) Um, But she's got another book. It's called Atlas of the Heart. And she describes, I think, 80-something human emotions and like maps them out. It is so good. Um, But she talks about empathy misses. So things like when you need a person to be empathetic or when you're trying to be empathetic, things that you do that you actually miss being empathetic. So some of them are like trying to problem solve or um, I don't know. She's got a whole list of them and they're so good. So finding someone who is going to truly be your empathetic listener Um, one thing that I do is pray. Like there's that Brad Paisley song and he says, you can't say Jesus is the answer in a song. Do you know that song? Uh -uh. Anyway, it's, it's, he talks about things. It's like, well, you're not supposed to say this, but I believe it. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, like that's huge for me. So I'll pray. Like I did a fasting before this podcast Uh and Like my anxiety is still here, but it's so much less. So like having faith over fear, um, I'm trying that self-reliance group, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) Um, John, I have talked about him a lot. He just like makes things happen. Um, Last May, I went with my friend Randy and we went to New York City, just a girl's trip. And when she invited me, I'm like, I don't know if I can, I want to, like, I want to, but I don't know if I can make it happen. Like I'm a mom. I, what am I going to do with the kids? And I was like shy about it, which is funny. I brought it up with John and he's like, Hey, if you want to go, go. 
I will figure it out. And that was it. Mm -hmm. Like he just made it happen. Um, Having friends and family to talk to. I mean, people who are going to be there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember Kelsey, when I told you and Leanne the first time, like you guys came over, we had lunch Mm -hmm. and I think I just talked and that was huge for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this, something happened to me that made me, I went to Logan one day and it wasn't, this is going to be a little woo woo for some people, (laughs) but the spiritual side of me. Anyways, I had this feeling of like going to Logan and I remember going to Logan and running an errand and the place wasn't even open and just being angry. Like, why am I on Logan run this stupid errand? Like I was so mad. Yeah. And then I just got this feeling to go to this like grocery store. Okay. Do you remember that day at Smith's? I don't think so. Keep going. Okay. My memory's slow. <laughs> and if you don't like me telling this story, we can totally oh, cut it or nope, whatever. Tell but it. anyways, and so I go to this place to run this errand. They're not open. Somebody rear ended me. Like I remember being so angry. I was what? on Logan. Okay. But I had this feeling to go do it. Why? I don't even know. I'm driving down Main Street and I get this other feeling like going to Smith's Marketplace. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I go into Smith's Marketplace, shop around, don't even get anything. I think I got like two items. I don't even know. And it was me and Ledger and we walk out and there you are. You're walking in. I do remember seeing you there. Yeah, you were, you didn't look good. Like Uh you didn't look... You looked glazed a little bit and just like you were not okay. Mm -hmm. And I talked to you a little bit. And then I remember just thinking something's going on. Mm -hmm. Like anyways. And so the woo woo side of this is like, (laughs) I was meant to be there. Like I was meant to go to Logan. And even though I was angry, (laughs) I was meant to run into you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I believe that. Absolutely. I don't know. I think that we're here to help each other. Oh, a hundred percent. That is why I believe we're here. Yeah. So, but yeah, thanks for sharing that. (laughs) Um, I think that people have to find your, like find yourself, find your recipe and be true to you. Setting boundaries are so big. So Brene, she's my favorite, talks about dig. So it's like when you dig deep, you have too much to do, too little time. And the words that she said is maybe there's something better than just sucking it up or pushing through. And that was one of those things I'm like, I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Um, So DIG is what she calls it. So D, it's an acronym. Be deliberate in your thoughts. Um, I is to be inspired to make restorative choices. And G is go. So when you start to notice like, hey, I'm not feeling good. Like stop and be deliberate. Um, Her example was she was like pushing herself and pushing herself to get through this thing. And she, it was just too much. And so she stopped and she's like, I'm going to go take time and watch this thing I've wanted to see on Netflix, which is like, ah, that's not productive. But she like made herself do it. And then she was like, okay, I'm refreshed. I can do this. Like we need to do that. Um, so like boundaries, kids, birthday parties, that's like a big thing in our families and I can't do them like for my own kids, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like the big ones where you invite everyone, all the family. Um, We have like our own little birthday party with the kids or sometimes they have some friends over. But like I like going to my nieces and nephews birthday parties. But when it's me having to host, 
Like I can't. And I've learned that like, that's a boundary for me. Um, I tried when they were younger and my anxiety was at the point where like I would be freaking out before everyone came because everything had to be perfect. And then when everyone was there, I was worried like that social anxiety, am I paying enough attention to people? Are they having a good time? Are they comfortable? Um, and then they leave and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's messy, but I'm overwhelmed. I would just like break down and cry. So that's a boundary for me. Um, being more mindful. I try to make a list of my priorities. So like I write things down and, and that way I just don't feel like things are swimming around in my mind so much. Um, no is a complete sentence. Don't you think that's great? Mm -hmm. Like we don't have to explain ourselves. Sometimes we can just say no. Um, I don't believe that this means saying no to everything because like, Me being here today, this is stretching and there's parts of it that don't feel good, but you need it. So just like knowing what's good for you. And another part of that is saying yes, only when you're sincere. So like, say I run into a friend and that friend is like, Hey, let's get together sometime. Um, or like maybe flip that around. If I run into someone and I'm like, I can see myself getting together with this person. I sincerely want to do it. Then I will say that. But like, otherwise I try to just have a good conversation and like, it's not personal. Do you know what I mean? Like be sincere. Um, okay. CBT. Do you guys know about CBT? I love, I'm learning about it and I love it so much. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. So basically it's taking the way that you think and learning to do it differently. Um, not like minimizing your problems or making them go away. Not saying like, Oh, that's not a big deal. Even though you felt like it was, that's not what it is. It's like, um, one example that I use is like, if I'm stressed about something that's coming up, I try to think back on past things that have happened and thinking like that went positively and I know that this can go positively too or maybe when I'm in a situation where something was like said or done that triggered me I recognize okay it was only one sentence um, during our whole visit with this person that made me uncomfortable it wasn't everything so the whole thing wasn't a mess does that make sense? I'm not like catastrophizing something. I'm being more mindful. Um, oh, biofeedback. So I try to just recognize like if I'm tense, if I'm shaky, if I'm dizzy. Um, one time we were at a family party and you know, it was someone else's family party and it was going fine for everyone, I think, but I, it was just not my day. It was not my moment and I could recognize that. And so I like sat in the car. And I felt dumb, but like it was what I needed because like my body told me I was not okay. Um, Getting off social media, that was a thing that I did. Um, Like I had Facebook and I don't think it's bad. I don't think social media is bad, but I'd been off for a while. I got back on and instantly the first thing I see is a photo of like some friends and they were fit. Do you know what I mean? They were looking good. 
and I feel this feeling wash over me of like, well, you're sure not. And I'm like, okay. And I'm back off Facebook. (laughs) Um, man, I talked about medication. I don't think I need to talk more about that. Exercise is so big for me. So like running, hiking, kayaking, it's winter. So I like to ski when I can. Um, I try to make time for things that I enjoy. I'm not good at it, but I'm working on it. Another thing is like sitting in the pain. So when I feel low, like letting myself feel it because I know it's not going to last forever. Like I have that faith that I'm going to get through it. Um, and then uh, trying to like find strength in my weaknesses. So like my OCD, right? My kitchen is my OCD. If you take me out of my kitchen, I'm probably going to be fine. But if I'm in there, like I have to do the whole process. I have to put the dishes away. I have to wipe the counter. I have to sweep the floors. And it's like, I can't stop. Um, so one of the OCD things, <laughs> I'm like, how can I turn my strengths into weaknesses? So I had a friend once who spontaneously said, let's go take the kids to Bear Lake. And I'm like, well, I can't. I have to do laundry today. And she's like, but you could do laundry tomorrow. And I'm like, like, but today's laundry day. And she's like, but you could do it tomorrow. And I'm like, oh. And so it's like, okay, you can still be tidy, Brittany, but you can go to Bear Lake too. It's going to be fine. Or like a nerdy thing. Like I vacuum on Tuesdays. It's my vacuum day. I used to care a whole lot about it. And now it's like, okay, if you get it done once a week, you're good. Don't worry. Um, strengths from weaknesses. (laughs) Like they say it's a thing. I'm just working on it. So like, I like to be organized. I like to plan and it can be too much sometimes, but it can also help. Like, Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Um, anyway, brother Bagley, I just want to say a couple things about him. I talked about him earlier. So he just has all these pearls of wisdom. Um, and I love hearing that from somebody of a different generation. Like I value it so much. He is always like, don't feel bad to take time for yourself. Go have a nap or like, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Just do what works for you. And this year or last year at the end of the year, I was stressed. Like, I'm not going to reach my running goal. Somehow I got behind. And he's like, you know, when is enough enough? Like you have to weigh the cost. I'm like, you're right. But then I ran 501 miles. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Uh So I don't know. So many things like serving others, getting out of your shell, that kind of thing. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Um, One thing that I kind of wanted to add to your story is... um, I think we've talked about it on here before, but the Emily effect, mm-hmm. um, Emily oh. mm-hmm. I think is important to kind of just add to this episode. So if any of you are feeling anything, um, go check out that website. If you don't even know what that is, go check out the website. Somebody in your life is needing help, yeah. needing a listening ear. So, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That came to my mind as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, is I got on the website while you were sitting there. Oh, and the first quote is by Brene Brown. No. <laughs> and it says the two most powerful words when we are in struggle is me too. 
Mm -hmm. So I just got chills. Yeah. (laughs) So go check out the website. Um, It's good information. So Um, why don't you tell us how you're making lemonade with your lemons? Yeah. Um, So I had to think about this really hard. (laughs) Admitting my weakness right there. Um, I feel like... (sighs) we are all in this together. Don't you think like Mm -hmm. the world, the community, your family, we're just like one big bowl of lemonade. Don't you think? And we are all trying to do the best that we can with the situations that we have. And nobody is living a perfect life. Everybody has something. Um, We all just want to be understood and loved. I think so on um, that trip that I went, um, to New York with Randy in May, we were walking to the nine 11 Memorial. And if you've ever been there, it's like an incredible place anyway. Right. But we're walking towards it and there's like this wall, this street art, and it says, um, everyone's different and everyone's the same. And that just like, that just washed over me, like soaked into me. I heard that and I loved it so much because it's like, we are all different, but we're all the same. We all just want to feel love. Like there's that shared humanity. Everybody has unique problems, but we all are the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. true. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming. I just loved hearing your whole story and kind of like where it started and where you are now. Mm-hmm. And it's not the end, right? You're no, still working through it. Not You're the still end. learning <laughs> and growing. So we're so proud of you. Thank you for sharing. And thank you everyone for being here. Hey listeners, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about Bane's Legacy, go to www.baneslegacy.com. You can also find us on Instagram at baneslegacy19 and Facebook at baneslegacy. And if you want to learn more about Teresa's foundation, Tech, go to www.tetetech.org and also on Facebook and Instagram at Tech.